life of Jesus, there are so many things worth quoting, so many things worth repeating. And one of my favorite lines that Jesus gives comes out of the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And I think you could probably help me finish this sentence when I say the phrase, the truth will set you free. It's a popular one out there, and whether people even know that it comes from Jesus or not, it does, and oftentimes you will hear people saying a statement like this. But I have a confession to make to you guys, and it's a hard one, but maybe you can relate. But have you ever been in a situation where the truth might not set you free? I'm talking about you're just brand new to marriage, and your wife made her first plate of dinner for you, and it doesn't quite look like mama's cooking. And the wonderful question is asked, so what do you think? I don't know if the truth will set me free in this moment. And uh, I don't know about you, but maybe you've been in a moment like that before where you were faced with the reality of, do I tell the truth or do I say something else? I'm going to choose saying something else. It's great. It's wonderful. This is the best I've ever had. Does the truth always set us free? And what does Jesus mean by that? And why is truth so important to God? And really so important to our world. If you think about it, most people are searching for truth. The question is, is what kind of truth are they finding? Or are they finding truth at all? So let's go ahead and look into the book of Jonah. So we are officially in chapter 3, and it gets pretty exciting here. I know it probably seems like the most exciting portion of Jonah is when he's in the belly of the fish, but I actually think the chapters out of that portion of Scripture offer so much rich, just theology, rich insights into the way that we ought to think and be challenged when it comes to the things of the Lord. So again, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to be reading several verses in this chapter today. So we'll start off with verse 1. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So what's really interesting here is in these first two verses, what do we see here? We see almost a mirror reflection to chapter one. In fact, I, I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn over to chapter one and notice how it almost begins exactly the same. Chapter three and chapter one are almost identical with it saying the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So it's pretty interesting here, and what I think we see happening is God in some ways continuing again Jonah's original miss, miss, mission. However, unlike chapter 1, we see a different Jonah today. And in verse 3 it says this, Jonah obeyed the Lord 
and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. That's a pretty large city, if you ask me. So what do you notice here? Jonah's response in chapter 3 is very different than Jonah's response in chapter 1. Something has changed in Jonah, at least a willingness to do what he was called to do. I like this because I think this is a reminder, a good reminder for all of us that oftentimes God could call us to do something and like Jonah, we do what? We run away from it. But how God can bring us back onto the right path. Christians, maybe you have made some mistakes in your life. Maybe you have veered off a path that you know God wanted you to go on. Well, here's some good news for you. God can always course correct. God can always bring you back to the purposes that he has set out for you, no matter what situation you find yourself in, young or old. God can always bring you back into the right path. That encourages me because as I examine some of my own shortcomings or the famous phrase of missed opportunities, right? I'm reminded that God always wants to lead me down a good and noble path. So Jonah ends up going to Nineveh as he should have in chapter 1 and he finally gets there and it's a large city and it takes him time to get through it and eventually he does and he's going to begin preaching to the people there. But what's interesting is, is that I think in this story we see the power of how being a blessing to others is often ends up being a blessing and an opportunity to grow in your own life. Let me share how that's real for me on a week-to-week basis. And it's a really simple answer for me. Sermon writing. I know for some of you, the thought of coming up on stage and being a public speaker in any shape or form sounds terrible. In fact, public speaking is one of the highest fears that people have. I think death is literally the highest fear, and then the second to that is public speaking. We don't like doing it. We get nervous. We get shy. We get embarrassed. Well, maybe I have a screw loose in my head, but I really, really love preaching. Maybe that makes me a little eccentric or strange, I don't know, but I really love preaching. And it's not just because I like to speak, it's more so I like what preaching offers me. You see, it takes me a long time to write a sermon. Make no mistake about that. It takes me hours and hours and hours. And if you didn't know, I begin writing every sermon on Monday. So after I preach my sermon on Sunday... First thing I'm doing Monday morning is I'm working on the sermon all over again. And that might sound terrible for you or monotonous to be working every single week, Monday through Saturday in some ways, on a sermon. Every single day I'm trying to put time into the message. Sometimes it's a larger length, sometimes it's a shorter length. 
Saturday night before the Sunday message, I'm reading it over again, and I'm trying to live in it. But I love it. And one of the reasons why I love it is because I get to experience God's word first. And by having the task of preaching and communicating God's word to you, I get to receive the blessing of the Lord getting to speak to me first. You know, I even thank my wife at times and say, honey, I'm so grateful that I get to write these sermons because it forces me to look at scripture in a deeper way than just reading a two-minute devotional. It forces me to look at God's word with great intentionality. And I get to be blessed as I'm trying to be a blessing to those of you in our congregation or whoever's listening on, in on the stream. It's amazing how the things that God calls us to do are, make no mistake, meant to bring blessings and goodness into other people's lives. But yet, we sometimes forget that it's also meant to bring blessing and goodness into our own lives. It's why, as a church, we've been very intentional with thinking about what discipleship means here. And we're still growing in that knowledge. We're still trying to figure some things out. We're still trying to roll out ideas and brainstorm through things. But the elders very clearly thought last year when we were discussing these matters that service needs to be a part of what it means to be a disciple here at Peace Mennonite Community Church, not just because we're trying to all of you into volunteering and taking care of my wild children. That is a part of it. But also because we understand that God has wired us and designed us to do good works. Amen? And that the good works that we are called to do are not just good works for others, but they have a way of changing us as well. So if you are not serving, I encourage you to do that, to experience what it feels like to be a blessing, but through that to also be blessed. Because here's the thing, God's on the hook, at least for my life I can say that with confidence. God's on the hook, because if he's not inspiring me, if he's not helping me think up ideas, if he's not in some ways pouring into me, how can I pour into you? So here's a guarantee. If God wants you to serve, you're going to get poured into. The Holy Spirit's going to pour into you because you have to pour into others. So if you want to experience a little bit more of Jesus in your life, then serve because God will have to pour into you. And that's a good problem, right? That God gets to pour into you to pour into others. If you don't want to feel God's presence... If you don't want to feel what it's like to get poured into, then I encourage you not to serve. <laughs> Service is almost a guarantee that God will pour into you. Now, now make no mistake, there are some people that, that serve a little too much. And you know who you are if you're in the church and you're feeling that way. <laughs> a few names come to mind. But service is such a heartbeat of God, and it should be a heartbeat for us. 
Let's keep reading what happens next in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. So Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevite people, or the Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on what? Sackcloth. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if we were to write the Bible in modern day sentiments, it would say something like this. Then Jonah began by going a day's journey to the city of Nineveh, proclaiming, Jesus loves everybody, and everybody is great, and be exactly who you are. (laughs) I don't know about you, but the message that Jonah brings is not one that is very fluffy at all. It's a message of doom and gloom. And look, I'm not trying to make fun of the statement that Jesus loves you because he does. That's real. That exists. That's a, that's a part of the truth of the gospel. But also within scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, sometimes we wrongly hear that there's a separation between God's personalities there. There is not. We also see some really, really harsh messages. There is no Nowhere in Jonah's message to the Ninevite people where he says, repent and God will relinquish his judgment upon you. It is purely a message of judgment. And it's a harsh truth for the Ninevite people that they have been wicked and that God has taken notice of this wickedness. And as a result, they will be overthrown. Guys, the truth of God could sometimes be very, very harsh. But that does not make it any less true. Let me tell you something right now that I think if you're a note taker could be worth writing down. Truth is not always kind. Truth is not always kind. Sometimes truth is very hard to hear. Sometimes we do not want to hear the truth. Sometimes we even do things to avoid the truth. I know of a guy in this church who puts, or who puts a sticker, a piece of tape, to cover their check engine light. (laughs) Maybe you know who I'm talking about. And the reason why he did this, in some ways, was to avoid the truth, right? Right? That there is a code that the, the, the car is alerting this individual to, to let them know that something is not right. There is something wrong with this vehicle. And we do things, right, in life like this where we put pieces of tape to block out the truth because we don't want to accept that. 
right? Have you ever done that in your life? Maybe not literally with a check engine life, but spiritually where you've avoided truth. You've maybe avoided going to church. Maybe you've avoided talking to somebody because you know that they're going to speak the truth into your life. Maybe you've avoided your parents or some sort of spiritual or uh, uh, just helpful figure over your life because you don't want to hear the bad news. Maybe it's the doctor you don't like and you don't want to hear the bad news. So what do you do? You put the sticker, you put the piece of tape over the check engine life because you do not want to hear the truth. But does it make it any less true? Of course not. It still remains just as true as it ever was. The only problem now is you're avoiding the truth. And oftentimes, when we avoid the truth, we will pay the price and with interest. And sometimes the price is much higher than it could ever be if we would have just willingly accepted it the first time. The people of Nineveh did not get a fluffy message And maybe that's why Jonah was so afraid, because he knew the message was not going to be a fluffy one. Maybe he was afraid for his life, and that's, that's fair. That doesn't mean that he should have done what he did, but it's at least understandable. Church, let God's word, let the Holy Spirit speak truth in your life, and do not feel bad about those messages. And then let me say this a little bit further now. Do not be afraid to speak truth in this life. Amen? Our society is afraid of truth right now. It's ironic because people are seeking out truth, but there's also, they're also very afraid of truth. Or they don't want to hear opinions that they don't like. And they're in some ways putting, what? A piece of tape over the check engine light. But here's the thing, if you're a believer, if you take this book seriously, you have the truth. God wants you to speak that truth out into this world, and guess what? Sometimes it's going to be harsh. Sometimes it's going to be hard, both for you and the individual to hear and say, but does it make it any less true? The truth is not always kind, but truth is always good. It's always good to hear the truth. Because we need it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live thinking one thing when in reality what's true is totally different from what I believe. It's like if you're at work and everybody's telling you you're doing a good job and then you find out a few months later that you're not, you almost feel so frustrated because you would have said, man, I would have worked on this skill a long time ago had somebody told me. We need the truth in our lives. I like this quote from Billy Graham. If our minds and hearts are not filled with God's truth, something else will take his place. Did you hear that? If our minds and hearts are not filled with God's truth, something else will take 
his place. Sometimes truth is the perfect message that is needed. And we, unfortunately, oftentimes see God as either just or compassionate, right? And we fail to realize that God is both. And sometimes speaking the truth is actually accomplishing both things. You see, and trust me, I struggle with this. I'm preaching to myself right now because as I've confessed multiple times in my pastoral ministry, I struggle with the sin of wanting to be a people pleaser. So because of that, at times in my life, I will avoid speaking the clear truth that I need to speak because I'm more concerned on whether the person likes me. And because of that, I might skirt around the truth, I might try to kind of Trojan horse the truth in such a way, or I won't even say the truth at all. And I'm doing nobody favors there. I'm not helping anybody out, and I'm certainly violating my conscience as well in doing that. And don't hear me well. There are some people that love to hear their own voices a little too much, and maybe think everything they're saying is truth when it's not. <laughs> Have some humility, right? Amen? <laughs> but Christians, church, we need to realize that oftentimes the truth is exactly what somebody needs to be able to hear for themselves. And in fact, some people are the victim of not hearing truth enough. So they continue to do what? To go further down the path of listening to lies in their life because somebody didn't love them enough to tell them the truth. You could be that person that God is calling to speak the truth into their lives. It's not easy to do this. The people of Nineveh needed to hear what? Did they need to hear a message of, well, God is love, and you know, you just keep doing you, and the Lord will work through you either way? No, that wasn't the message. The message was, you guys are a wicked city, and you're on a path of destruction right now. And how did the people respond as to a result of hearing that truth? It says they immediately did what? Started to fast and seek out God. It's almost like when we read this, at least for myself, I don't know about you, it's almost like we're surprised. I feel surprised sometimes. But I've seen it happen. Where sometimes when you're blatantly honest to somebody, you actually have an opportunity to help them be set free. And that's where I think that verse is pointing to, is truth allows people the opportunity to live in freedom. You see, we wrongly think of freedom to do whatever we like. That's not freedom. That's bondage. Freedom is the ability to do what is right. I want more freedom, not in the sense to just sin, but I want more freedom to do the things God has called me to do. I hope you do as well. 
You know, I struggle at times, believe it or not, to share the raw truth of the Lord. Because just as much as it is true to hear that Jesus loves me, it's also very, very, very true to say that God is not pleased with sin. Those are two things that are held up in tension in some ways. That they fit just fine. But for whatever reason, we struggle to kind of live in one or the other. We need both, right? A few years back, before I had children, I was walking into a King Super. And as I was walking in, I was just kind of right in that um, channeling area where they have all the carts. There was a woman who had her son in tow. And she spoke so harshly to this little boy. And the little boy was no older than my son. And she goes and looks at this little boy trying to get him to follow her and says, you bleepity bleep, get here right now. Using too many four-letter words that shouldn't be used, let alone to a child three, four years of age. And I remember seeing that and immediately thinking, this is a wicked woman and that is evil. You know, our world would like us to believe that everything is so subjective, right? That, you know, it's really just the perspective that you're looking at. Things aren't always as they seem. There's a little bit of truth behind that. Sometimes that could be the case. But have you noticed how, how, how this is continuing to rise? Take a look at the movies that are coming out. Have you noticed how many movies now are telling the stories of the protagonist from the villain's perspective? I mean, Disney's doing this. A whole bunch of companies are doing this right now where they're telling stories more from the villain's perspective to make the villain look like the hero when in reality we all know who's wicked. And the world wants to believe that everybody is, you know, morally gray. That's the message. But I remember thinking in this moment after hearing this terrible thing happen in front of me, thinking that is just evil. To talk to a child like that, to be someone's parent, guardian, and I'm assuming mother, and to speak in that kind of manner is just wicked and it's evil and that kind of behavior needs to be condemned. But I'll be honest with you, church. I had no idea what to do in a moment like that. I was worried that if I confronted her, and trust me, I wanted to, and I was about to, that I was going to make it worse for the little boy. So I chose not to. And I still kind of wonder if I made the right choice. But immediately I, I prayed for that little boy. I prayed for that mom. I prayed that the Lord would wash over this family and that God would get protect this little boy but also that God would get a hold of this woman's heart. And I want to make an important, an important point here because I think it's one that we need to realize. The church has its own sins. Why? Because you're in it and I'm in it. And I'm a broken person and you're a broken person. And there are many things that the church and, and the world, I don't want to just beat up on the church. I'm very careful about that. Because the church is Jesus' bride. But the church has sinned. 
The church has forgotten its love for the lost. The church has sinned by letting go of its moral doctrines. The church has sinned by loving preferences such as music, order of service, inward-facing programs, more than the mission of loving thy neighbor. The church has sinned by creating comfortable Christians often times over and above anything else. The church has sinned by letting politics be more important than the gospel message. The church has sinned by fighting petty battles and letting go of the essentials of our faith. The church has sinned by failing to make disciples of Jesus and instead making converts, which may be too generous for the church to say at all. The church has sinned by leaving the duties of the church to a few people. The church has sinned by letting sin exist within her walls. And here's the thing. We just need to realize that as much as that may be true, God's compassion still exists. The Ninevite people heard a harsh message. And what did they do? They fired the pastor? No. They took it seriously and they repented. And they asked God in such a way for forgiveness through the actions of fasting, putting on sackcloth, and trying to repent from their actions. But you see, we need to realize church family, that you cannot have godly anger without desiring redemption. You see, I get angry. I do. I often, it's kind of a hard one for me because I really believe that when I became a Christian that God worked on my anger. It was one of those things where it felt like a flip was switched. Have you ever had that happen to you? where you just feel like God just gives you quick victory over something. There's other things that I feel like God does not give me quick victory over that he wants me to soldier through in in such a way. But in this area, it was like instant liberation. But ironically enough, as the years have gone on, and I've grown in some ways in my righteousness, and I don't mean that in a prideful way, I just mean that as I've grown to be a disciple of Jesus and byproduct of that, have grown to live more accordingly to what I believe his word tells me. You know what's crept in? Self-righteousness. Has that ever happened to you? Every hand probably should go be going up for that. And in some ways, I've allowed a godly anger, like being mad at that woman, for instance, for speaking that way to her child. That's a godly anger. Church, Believe it or not, it's okay to be angry about certain things. I'm angry when I read that list of how I believe the church has sinned. And you should be angry too. I'm angry when I see people do evil things. When I see people hurt other people through words, through deeds, through all sorts of things that you have experienced and you have also done. I get angry about that. 
That's not wrong. Believe it or not, anger can be from the Lord. But what is wrong is not allowing that anger to be also an opportunity for redemption. You cannot have godly anger without also desiring redemption. I'll say that once more. You cannot have godly anger without desiring redemption. I see now that anger can be a good thing, but how I channel that anger is so important. And it's very important for you. Church, there are probably things that you are angry about. You know what? That could actually be a great thing. But do not let the enemy take that and turn it into bitterness and resentment. Amen? Use that anger as a fuel for what? Prayer, love, compassion, and a desire to see yourself transformed and the world around you transformed. You see, the God who was angry at Nineveh was also the same God who sent Jesus into this world to bring what? Redemption. It's the same God that has worked through men and women throughout history to bring what? To bring redemption. God does not stay in a position of judgment, but he stays in what? In this beautiful mixture of being truthful speaking the hard truth that we oftentimes need to hear, not for just condemnation's sake, but what? To bring people into redemption. You've probably heard the truth in your life. You are a sinner. You need to repent. But you've also heard the redemption in that message too. But God loves you and he forgives you of your sins. See? They go hand in hand, church. What's amazing about this story in Jonah that we're reading right now is that we're seeing firsthand how the truth can set people free. Jonah 3.6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust, which in this time period, that act of stripping yourself and being in the dust and being in sackcloth was an example or was was a, a desire to be repentant, to humble yourself in such a way that you're repenting. And then what happened? This is the proclamation he issued in his land. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. What is he doing? He's calling every single person, even down to the animals, to fast before the Lord. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. 
So he understands very clearly that God is not happy with them, that God is angry over their sin. And what does he do as a response? He doesn't get angry back at God, but he accepts that truth as harsh as it is. And he calls himself and his whole entire land into repentance. Church, when the Lord speaks truth into our lives, we also need to have that kind of attitude where we are taken so seriously that we're willing to change everything in our own lands, metaphorically speaking, to honor the Lord. Because you see, sometimes when we go to God and we give to God, it's like, I'll give you this little much. I'll give you, you know, I'll slice this off, but you only get that, God. But what do you see here? You see right down to the animals. Everybody's going to repent. Now, I don't think a horse needs to repent or a cow, but that's how serious he took it because he saw the sin over the whole land. The truth will set you free. That is the big idea for today. The truth will set you free. God's word where the passage of the scripture comes out of John 8:32 does not say the truth may set you free the truth could set you free if you're lucky the truth might set you free but what the truth will set you free the word there in greek for free eleutheros literally means to be liberated, to be exempt, to be delivered, to make free. The truth delivered the Ninevites. And we know this because in the following verse, it says in, in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them destruction he had threatened. Because at the end of the day, that's all God desires, right? Is for us to be humble enough to repent and to realize who is really Lord. Am I Lord or is he Lord? But church, we live in a day where unfortunately the dark, as Isaiah tells us in his book, is being mistaken for light, and the light is being mistaken for darkness. I am calling our church to be a church of truth. I am calling you to be an individual who stores up truth in their life. I like another quote from Billy Graham. He says this, like Joseph storing up grain during the years of plenty to be used during the years of what? Famine that, they, that lay ahead. May we store up the truths of God's word in our hearts as much as possible so that we are prepared for whatever suffering we are called upon to endure. Have you ever thought about that? That we can in some ways store up truth so that we can be stronger? in the hard times of life, but also to do what? To actually love people. Guess what, church? You can love people through truth, even if the truth isn't always kind. 
You can love them through it. People need to hear the truth because the truth will set them free. Church, we have an opportunity this week. You have an opportunity this week to take time to look at what is in front of you and to speak truth in other people's lives through word and through deed. I encourage you to do this, to see the importance of it, to value it enough to allow yourself to love others through truth and love yourself through the truth. Will you do that? That's the question. Will you do that? Will you just let what happens on Sundays here just die? I hope not. Let's pray. God, we thank